Hello and welcome to the Becoming Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Anne Fancy. This podcast was born out of the intent to continue conversations off the yoga mat and into the world because so much of what we do in life is challenging and creates a whole lot of discomfort and so much of it is asking us to elevate, to rise up. And I wanted to find space to continue these conversations that we can all be a part of in our own process of unraveling who the world has told us to be and becoming a more true and honest version of ourselves and even more so in simply acknowledging what it feels like to continue to wake up, to be more wakeful in this beautiful experience we call life perhaps even this brutal experience we call life. I'm so grateful for you being here. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it widely. Please rate and review us and subscribe. I appreciate you. Let's get to today's episode. All right. So today's episode is a first time for me. I braved the wilderness of online technology and added a exciting element of satellite telephone to the mix. My guest today is Peter Wildman, and his name suits him perfectly as he is literally living in the Canadian wilderness in an intentional community that he and his some friends are co-creating. I got connected to him by divine intervention of the internet And uh, this is a really interesting conversation about how he got to be doing and living the way he is. Um, Before we head into that, I'm going to offer you a couple opportunities to brave the wilderness yourself. I'm teaching at two different yoga festivals this summer. First, the Yoga Fest, which is a three-day festival or four-day festival, I suppose, three and a half day in Vanderbilt, Michigan. And uh, it's camping, but serious camping and super family-oriented, friendly. I'm teaching a couple of things there that weekend, and I'd love to see you. It's the last weekend in July. I'm also teaching at Barefoot and Free, which is in August this year, August 17th. I'll be there on the Saturday. And if you want to come out, that's only in Proud Lake, so not so far from Metro Detroit. And if you come for that day and you use the promo code AN with capital letters, you'll get 15% off. And then lastly, and most excitingly, is that I am doing a fall retreat, a yoga retreat, a um, intentional living retreat, Um, just connecting and community and staring at the beautiful, expansive Lake Michigan um, while connecting with other people who are like-minded and learning and growing together. We're going to have a sommelier um, for a special meal that will be local and vegetarian and vegan with my friend Lynn Savino. We'll do a bunch of yoga. We're talking astrology and moon rituals and hiking and Um, really anything you want. There's beer tours. You can go any direction you want. 70 acres, literally staring at Lake Michigan for um, three nights, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and coming home Sunday. I would love for you to come. If you want more information, go to annfancy.com backslash retreat. I booked the second house. Uh, It's filling up fast. So if you want in, get in and I'd love to have you there. So um, I think that's it, are all those important things. If you don't follow me on social media, you're welcome to find me on Instagram and Facebook. I am getting involved more and more often with different events um, around Metro Detroit, and I'd love to connect. As always, please, please, please share and subscribe to this podcast. I so appreciate you listening, and I'm excited to hear what you think of Peter and his adventures. So here we go. 
welcome. I'm really excited. This is a, very, a new adventure in lots of um, unknown territory for me on this podcast today. So thank you, Peter, for being here and for um, being willing to tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Can you remind me again, where are you located currently? Yes, thanks, Anne. I'm excited to be on your show. Um, we're located in a somewhat remote part of the, the world, um, a couple hours north of Whistler and about four hours north of Vancouver in British Columbia, Canada. Mm-hmm. And we are on a fairly remote mountain lake called Anderson Lake. Anderson Lake. And how did you end up there? Well, that's quite a long story. Uh, <laughs> so it depends where we want to start from. We, we ended up here after um, a group of five of us uh, were looking for uh, land that'd be really inspiring, a uh, really wild and inspiring and beautiful place that we could start our intentional community project. And that's where we ended up after a couple of years of searching, you know, on the traditional way, looking on the real estate market, what was for sale. And eventually we ended up here. We, we were just on the lake on a boat one day and we spotted this, this absolutely magical place from the boat. And we decided we would approach the owner of the place and, and just see if we decided we were tired of waiting for, you know, what was offered and we would start asking and being a little bit more forward. And, um, it's kind of one of those places that we fell in love with at first sight. And it was, it was pretty apparent pretty quickly that this was, uh, the magical place we've been looking for. Oh, I just literally got like a, a waves of chills as you were saying that and describing that the last sentence or two, that's incredible. So you decided with your five friends to start an intentional community. And so it's called Zenith. It is. That's correct. Okay. And tell me how this, what, tell us more about what that is and, um, and how you collected these five people with this similar mission. So I would really say that it's, it was an organic process. So I didn't grow up wanting to be part of an intentional community. It's, it's something that I discovered along the way. And the, the friends that I'm, that I'm, that I'm doing this with, they, they didn't have the same mission either. It's kind of, a series of life events and discoverings along the way is what led us is what led us to that. So <clears throat> for me, um, I really discovered in my own life that the way people do a lot of things in society, it's not that they're wrong or they're bad. I just found that people weren't, didn't always think about why they do things. Like why do we go to work at nine o'clock in the morning and finish at five? And why do we, why do we pay rent to live in an apartment in a, in a city? And a lot of things that were kind of assumed to be the default or what people just do didn't really resonate with me. So mm-hmm. to me, the word intentional and intentional community uh, means having an intentional life, like examining why are we doing things? Mm-hmm. Um, did these actually feel good or serve us best in our community best? And it's not that what other people do or society does is, is right or wrong. It's about, about being intentional to what's true to ourselves. Yeah. So that sounds like it was probably a really interesting unraveling of your life and experience that led you to that. So what, um, if you were looking, like, what kind of kid were you? What was, what was, how did you grow up? What was your life like in the earlier years? Yeah. So for me, I think that anybody who watched me grow up would not have, not have at all predicted that I'd be doing what I'm doing now. So I grew up in, I'm Canadian and I grew up uh, in the suburbs of Toronto as a white middle-class kid, uh, I was, you know, I, I grew up with a normal family. Uh, we had a house in the suburbs. I went to school, 
played sports, you know, I had part-time jobs and I was taught that the path to happiness and success in life was to go to school and get good grades and go to a good college, uh, get a good job with a good company, get married, have 2.3 children, have a mortgage, um, you know, that, that standard middle-class narrative. I was taught that that was the path to happiness. And for me, I always kind of felt like that wasn't quite right, uh, but I didn't know what was. Mm-hmm. And something just wasn't settled about that, about that for me. I felt like, okay, that's, you know, what I've been taught and that's what a lot of people do, but that, that it just feels like there's, there's more that life has to offer than that. And at the time I was very much in that narrative of that success and happiness is financial success. That the key to that is making money. That's, that's what I've been taught and that's what I believed. So my way of doing that differently at the time was, I said, I'm going to learn to be an entrepreneur so I can work on my own terms. But it was still very much in that paradigm of that money is the path to happiness. Right. And, and so I pursued that. Um, I actually dropped out of college, and my parents told me that my life was over and that I was making the biggest <laughs> yeah. mistake ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and, and I pursued the path of, of entrepreneurship and, and business. And so for me, what that looked like is – I worked with um, a company called Student Works Painting, uh, which there's a few of these companies out there, college pro painters. Um, they teach university students how to run their own house painting business in, in the summer when they're off school. And for me, that was the education that I'd been really looking for at the time. Uh, I felt really empowered, really exciting. I was running my own business. I was learning how to make money. I was, you know, I was working, I had my friends working with me and we would we'd go around the neighborhood finding people who had houses with peeling paint and, and ask them if we could work for them. And, and, and it worked. And I felt really empowered and excited at that time. And, and it was, everything seemed great. But what I eventually discovered is that eventually people around me started to regard me as a success. I was, you know, making money and they're like, oh, your business is successful and you're doing well, and, you know, you can take time off when you want. And, um, but I discovered that I was still just, like, I still felt lonely and disconnected and depressed, and um, all the things that I thought financial success would bring me, it, it felt like an empty promise or, like, the pot of gold in the rainbow wasn't, wasn't there in the way that I imagined it. Um, and that was a really tough time. Yeah. I think that's so relatable. I think so many people feel like, they were sold this sort of pile of lies and they got the degree and then the economy was terrible and there was no job or they realized they hated the job they got or I think that's so relatable. So you, so you found yourself in this place of success and then were you always the kind of person that was really um, looking at your life from that introspective place? Were you an introspective kid in person? Naturally? Yeah, naturally. I'm actually becoming more of an introvert or an extrovert as I get older, but naturally I was quite introverted from a young age and and yeah, very much was always lost in my own thoughts and tried to figure things out on my own and, and it was comfortable being with myself. Definitely. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So you found yourself successful and still unhappy and discontent. Yeah. And, and so by this time I'd actually moved to, to British Columbia. I in Canada to the West coast. I'd always loved the mountains, um, but hadn't, you know, hadn't really got to spend much time in them. I grew up um, not too far from you in Michigan, actually, um, just on the other side of the border in Ontario. So very similar, fairly flat landscape, lots of beautiful lakes. So it's a beautiful area, but the mountains were my calling. So by that time, I'd moved to the mountains, and 
I had another business going here that that I was doing well in. But I was I just knew that I was like, again, there's more to this. There's more to life. And I was the sort of person who was very proud of you know, being able to figure things out on my own and and do things by myself. But I started to to realize that, you know, there's these people around me who have seemingly no money or very little money and they're way happier than I am. Yeah. Like I should pay attention. I should start paying attention to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and drop my ego a little bit and, and really look at like what's going on here. Yeah. Like what's underneath this. Yeah. Yeah. So I can still remember this moment really, really clearly actually. Um, I was, I was renting a house in Whistler, uh, which is a couple of north, hours north of Vancouver in Canada. It was a kind of a, a major ski town that I'd moved to. And I was renting this house, and I was looking for a couple of new roommates. So this woman showed up to the house. Um, she answered one of my ads looking for a roommate. And she was just absolutely glowing like she's just one of those people that you see and you're like I want to hang out with you I want to be mm-hmm. your friend I want what you got yeah I want what you got kind yeah. of thing and yeah and she you know she liked the house and she liked me she ended up moving in as a roommate and I would just I just kind of like I remember we spent so much time I was just wanting I was just like picking her brain asking her like what about this how do you live this and she was the kind of person who never had any money, just kind of lived moment to moment. But, you know, she did yoga practice in the morning. Um, she did breath work. She was very intentional. Um, she really appreciated a lot of the finer things and, and small things in life. Um, and, and she'd done a lot of personal development and spiritual growth um, in areas that let her able to be really content and happy just with what was in whatever situation. And that was something that was not really like, I, I wanted that <laughs> very much. Yeah. Yeah. Were you raised in any religion or spirituality? Yeah, but not in a strict sense. We went to church on Sunday, yeah. but, you know, that's kind of the only time it got talked about during the week. But I was very much raised with those um, typical um, Christian values, for sure. Yeah, for right. sure. Right. And do you, did you feel connected at all to spirituality or to the church at all? Or was that – so? because you're, you're saying that this woman's like – glow and her love for life and like that that sort of open spirituality or more metaphysical or whatever we want to call it these days new age i think some people like to call it yeah i, don't know that. I would Thanks. describe her as a new yeah. ager exactly yeah. <laughs> good good yeah. good word okay good um did so was that interesting to you had you did you feel spiritual as a kid or were you just so disconnected from that because you were just i was so disconnected yeah. yeah i was so disconnected i went to church because that's what you were supposed to do yeah sure absolutely so really, she was the shift. She started to wake she that was, up in you? She was a key shift for me, absolutely. Okay. Um, and another experience that I really remember, which was really powerful, is I remember being in the grocery store with a woman that I was dating. I was about 26 years old. I'm 35 now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we were in the grocery store, and she was putting organic, she was putting organic vegetables and food into the cart. And mm-hmm. I was giving her a hard time. I was saying why are we buying these ones? They're more expensive. And she was trying to explain to me, but in my mind, I already had it all figured out. I knew the answer. It wasn't a smart idea. I wasn't actually listening to what her answer was. I just wanted to make her wrong, you know? And so she wasn't able to get through to me on that. Uh, But she, she said, Peter, why don't you read this, this book? 
Um, I think it'll, there's a lot there that'll be there for your understanding. And it was Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. So that's the book yeah, that yeah. the movie Food, Inc. is based on. And that was one yeah. of the most impactful books in my life. You know, I thought I ate healthy yeah. before that. I thought I knew stuff about nutrition. But it really opened my eyes not just to what actual nutrition is, but it really opened my eyes to like the actual environmental damage and destruction that goes along with, you know, food that comes from a grocery store and how that's all produced. And I was someone who I thought cared about the environment, but that was also like a really, really major shift for me. All of these little tiny shifts, at what point did you, so you, you know, you met the new age woman and you, you had some of these paradigms and belief systems that you had sort of start to get, um, I don't know, shaken up a little bit. And at what point did you go from, like, how did you bridge that gap from success and money mindset and building your life a certain way? Like, what really started to move you in the direction of living your life so differently? Because now you're on the entire other end of that spectrum, right? In a lot of ways, at least. Exactly. So it was, it was, a, sl- it was a slow shift. And so those were a couple of landmark experiences that I really remember strongly because I remember that there was a very quick shift in in a moment or a short period of time but the the key shift for me was was just being open and really being um really letting my ego go about having it all figured out and knowing how things work and really being open to observing you know what was true what I felt in my body um how things felt in my body how other people like where they got happiness from, what moments I felt happiness in, and, and taking those seriously, like paying more attention to those than just how I was told to do things by society. And the more I, I found, the more I did that, the more fulfilled and happy I got. Yeah. Um, and so the living in a community and being a co- co-founder of, a, of an intentional community in the wilderness, um, you know, that wasn't where I started, of course. But what I noticed, some things I noticed over time was that you know, I was always moving from house to house, not because I was getting kicked out, but because I was always trying to make a better living situation. And what I noticed is that when I paid attention, what society told me was the dream was to have my own place to myself, to be independent and self-sufficient. But what I discovered was, is when I lived with friends and we shared meals together and we collaborated on doing things together and we, you know, we, our lives overlapped and we were more invested in each other's lives, like if I was honest with myself, that was a way happier living situation than the than the dream of having your own place. Um, so that was one one really key discovery. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think that we're realizing um, as like cultures and things shift, and even um, I don't know if you're considered a millennial then, since you're 35, are you a zennial maybe, like I am supposedly somewhere on that cusp between the two. <laughs> yeah, the new word, but um, I really have no idea. Yeah, I really yeah, have no idea what the, the terms are, but uh, but yeah, yes, I'm 35. Yeah, the middle ground. I'm pretty sure you're close to the zennial lane. Anyway, it's you know we're sort of in between, but I think that what I'm noticing so much is is all this shift back to. Um, to creating more of a tribe feeling in a lot of ways. I mean, for me, it was motherhood that made me wake up to going, oh my God, we are not supposed to do this alone. And it didn't feel good alone. And I think this is largely, at least in my experience of why yoga has grown so much is that people are outgrowing organized religion in many ways, but they still need the community and, and it creates that sort of that energy. So, um, so these all sound like, like wake ups, like, you were slowly starting to unearth your own intuition and like guidance from your own soul. And like, you know, these like little baby steps that you started to wake up to the information of, of how you felt in each moment. And that really became what guided you. So you kept moving towards what felt 
more what felt good and right for you. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. And and I started doing things that I never never otherwise would have considered because I would have considered them too new agey or too spiritual. So, um, like I know that you lead yoga retreats, for example, and that wasn't an avenue that I personally explored. Um, but I would explore other kinds of retreats where I'd be looking at myself and there'd be a personal growth element and a, uh, um, a discovery of, you know, what are our limiting beliefs? What are our stories? And going into that as a group process together, um, along with, you know, group practice. And so yoga, for example, and the retreats that you offer would be an avenue to that, which for me was a really, was a really important part of my, my own growth to get outside of just myself and my story um, and learn, you know, what's real. Yeah. And for me, yoga just became a doorway to have those conversations with, with more people about personal growth and expansion. Like, like to me, yoga and the body is just a really, um, I don't know, it's the candy that you, that draws somebody in to really self-inquiry and self, you know, um, self-development and looking at their limiting beliefs and looking at all of those things. It's just an avenue, right? And so, because not everybody's going to necessarily go on the retreat where they're going to be, you know, it might sound too woo-woo or too new age, but yoga somehow became safer for people to step in. So it's like a sneak attack to do the work that it sounds like you were doing anyway, or eventually going into doing. So as you started doing this personal growth and these retreats, is this like, at what point did this idea really start to be born to start this intentional community? And what did it take um, energetically, physically, emotionally to take that, that risk and those leaps? So how did that unfold? It was really, I like to say that it was born out of a, a conversation, really. So it started with a few friends just talking about, not about having a community. It, talk, it started with a few friends kind of just, I imagine a lot of people probably do this at some point in their life. You know, they're sitting there, they're out camping with some friends or they're sitting around a dinner table together or something like that. And they, they imagine like, ah, oh, what, what would it be like if we all just like, you know, quit our jobs in the city and, and just moved somewhere beautiful and, and had our like own, our own little paradise in the wilderness somewhere. Yeah. Um, I imagine that a lot of people probably like, maybe at least joke about that at some yeah. point in their life with their friends. And so we had that same experience, but what happened was that, that original joke or idea, it didn't go away. Right. It, you know, it kept coming up. Um, people would keep mentioning it or keep joking about it. And then eventually it, it wasn't really a joke anymore. It got, it got more serious. And so, you know, over the course of a few years, what, what I discovered was that, wow, this is like, this is slowly shifting from a, like, uh, an if yeah. to a, a how and a when and where. Mm-hmm. The question started shifting a little bit. And um, I remember, you know, the first time we would just, we'd go for a drive and we'd say, oh, what about that place? What about if we, like, if we set up here as our, as our wilderness base? Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't serious, right? But it just got more serious over time. So the you know, some, some things that people talk about, they fade. They're just kind of like fancies or ideas. But, uh, but this, you know, this one just kind of gained momentum and gained strength where to ignore it would be to, to kind of like deny what was real for us. Yeah, which I think is what so many people do in so many ways about their life, even if it doesn't mean going out and living in the yeah. wilderness. They just deny what is real for them, and then they're continue to be discontent, you know, in their life and unhappy and, um, you can keep reaching all those goals and milestones, but if you're not 
listening to that, I think that it becomes really um, difficult to find contentment. So you bravely kept stepping into this next right thing with these friends. So you, so okay, so you find I, it sounds like you, when we started the conversation, you found locations that you started at. Like, what are you living in? Like, what does this actual setup look like? Is this like glorified camping? Are you building structures for yourself? Like, what is this? What does this look like? Get paint us a picture. Yeah. So what we what we ended up doing was um, we bought an acreage. So we bought a large chunk of land. It's about 40 acres or so. Mm-hmm. And it had, uh, it used to actually be, it had a few different iterations. A hundred years ago, it was a, um, it was a fruit orchard. Okay. Um, it had apples and cherries and apricot trees and they, they shipped them out. It was somebody's business. Yeah. And then over the years that shifted to become someone's basically like opulent, <laughs> opulent summer cottage. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and that's what it was when, when, when we came here. So, what, uh, what our, what our ideal that we're working towards is a community where we have like the land is shared in common amongst all the participants of the community. And there's a large, you know, central house that everyone shares has meals in together. That's our social space. That's our retreat space. That's our gathering space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everyone around that doesn't have you know, their own 3,000 square foot home with two cars. Right. But the idea is that when you live in community, you want to be together. So you focus mostly on shared amenities, shared houses, shared structures. And each person has their own private little house or uh, bedroom kind of peripherally around, almost like a hub and spoke style. Yeah. Um, so that people have their private space they want to uh, when they want to, but but that it's set up in a way that it encourages interaction and community connection and cooperation. Because um, what we discovered was that that's when we're most happy, you know? It's not rocket science that we're happier together as humans together, yet our lives keep the world, the modern world, keeps separating us. So um, it seems it's really beautiful what you're creating there. So keep going. Tell us more. So that's the idea of what we're getting to. Right now it's, uh, you know, just a smaller version of, of that. So we have uh, what essentially is a nice cottage, which we currently treat as our common shared space. Um, and, you know, we have some small bunkhouses that are located around the property. We have a teepee, which is set up. Um, and uh, when, we have, when we have more guests or more people, then, you know, sometimes we're camping, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, we're, we're a couple of years into our process. And what we're really doing a lot right now is infrastructure development, building new structures, and we're also putting in place a lot of the food systems that will make us sustainable in the long term, like planting fruit trees, nut trees, um, perennial food plants that will, will feed us for years to come. Yeah. So um, the long-term vision is to continue to expand this community and have more people doing what you're doing? Yeah. So there's a concept called Dunbar's number, uh, okay. which, which we really resonate with. And that is believed to be the natural number that a human tribe mm-hmm. uh, for most of our, for most of our human history, you know, kind of naturally, naturally evolves to be. So that, that number is typically, I've heard different people have different takes on it, but that number is somewhere around a hundred plus or minus a few people. And that, that is an organic number, which is a number which has enough diversity that you can have a lot of different relationships, a lot of different people with different skills, diversity of skills and interests and labor um, but it's small enough that each person within that tribe can maintain a meaningful relationship with each other. 
and that traditionally tribes, once they got bigger than 100 or 150, would tend to split off into two, um, not necessarily totally separate things, but two separate factions um, or two different groups. Um, and so I believe in my own experiences that as humans, we're kind of naturally wired to live in a, in a group of that size where we're meant to have relationships with the people that we're living in. And one of the reasons I feel, one of the reasons I feel so disconnected in a city is it feels human to want to talk to people that I walk by in the street or that I encounter in a building or a store, but there's just too many people to have that many relationships. And, and that doesn't feel, that doesn't feel fully natural to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so this 80 to 120, um, how many people are you at now? Is it five or are there more? Yeah, so we're we're at the same number of permanent members, roughly. Okay. And uh, but what we what we do right now is we'll we'll typically have somewhere between eight and I'm going to say eight and ten people here. Okay. Um, so we host people on Workaway or Work Exchange, mm-hmm. um, so people can come and experience living in this in this setting with us and our our way of doing things. And we provide them with accommodation and meals, and they help us with our projects, with our infrastructure development, with with building the actual physical infrastructure and um, plant infrastructure, like the fruit trees and nut trees that uh, that we're that we're doing to establish ourselves as more sustainable. Um, we host retreats and events. A lot of them are geared towards personal development or helping other people gain more freedom in their own life to free themselves from you know, working a nine to five disempowering job just to make a living and get by and, and help people move towards a more empowered way of living where they're doing more of what they actually want to, you know, yeah. what their purpose is. Um, so we host retreats for those kind of things from time to time. Um, and then we also, we also just host a lot of smaller, more intimate gatherings with, with friends and people that we meet in the area. Mm-hmm. And our goal is, our goal really is in the, in the longer term, as we get infrastructure developed, and as we get our practices clear, is we really believe that that people everywhere should have access to deeply rooted communities um, with on abundant natural land that they can sustain themselves on. For for me, fundamentally, I, I think it's a real a real not even curiosity, but almost an injustice that mm-hmm. humans are the only animals in the world that have to pay for access to land. Every other animal in the world just you know, finds a space and makes themselves a home to sustain on. And um, at least most places in the world that I know of, Canada included, if you try to not pay rent or purchase land, and you just try to establish yourself a home somewhere and sustain yourself, you're, you're going to get kicked off once you're found out. Yeah. And I think, that, I, think that's, I think that's an injustice that people are enslaved to things that they don't like just to, so they can have access to a place to live. Um, and that's something that we're about changing. Wow. I mean, no, no small undertaking there, but I think that, I mean, these, these conversations are so interesting to me. I have a thousand questions for you. Um, so first question is just like where resource wise money, I mean, obviously you're trying to do a lot of things with trade and create a sustainable environment that doesn't require outside money or resources from what I'm hearing or, uh, so how is that working for you? I mean, how did you even raise the money to, to, purchase the land or did you work out something else? Like how did you get this, this particular piece of property? Yeah, great question. So you're right. We are, we are working towards a more interdependent, resilient relationships based local yeah. way of uh, meeting our own needs, growing our own food, trading with, with locals and each other, that kind of thing. 
but we're definitely not there yet. Yeah. The project is definitely years away from that kind of thing and probably never will be, you know, um, we're not, we're not aiming to be hermits who run away from the world. We're right. still going to want a car and, and a cell phone and, and things that we're not going to be able to make ourselves. We're not shunning technology, for example. So how does that look? Um, many of us still have, have jobs of some sort okay. uh, or businesses that, um, but we tend to run them more in our own terms, like our lifestyle as we increasingly become more naturalized mm-hmm. um, in our location and sustainable we have to work less and less. There's less and less things that we need money for. Yeah. So, for example, n- none of us work a nine-to-five job now. Yeah. They more look like is that, in my case, um, I'm still an entrepreneur. I still have a business, yeah. but I don't. I don't work 60 hours a week like I used to. You know, I scale that. I've scaled that back a lot to be, you know. So now that I work more, just what I need, and other mm-hmm. people will work more for just the amount that they need. Um, and so that we have a lot more time to be present with each other um, and and to be here together on the land and doing things that we love. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we work kind of the amount we need rather than to amass as much money as possible, like what, what most people do. And, and for us, we find that that makes us a lot happier. Yeah. Um, and as far as purchasing the land, uh, ideally, uh, <laughs> I guess ideally we would have had it, got it for free so we can you know, fully perpetuate that, that vision of free access to land. But uh, we do have a pretty big mortgage to pay for. That's a reality for the moment, but, uh, but we're working towards that. Right. I mean, you have to still live within the modern confines of the world and what exists. So that makes sense to me. I mean, I, I, um, my brother is very much always talking about these ideas of going off the grid and um, it's sort of, refreshing to hear you speak honestly about the, really the balance, right? Like you still have to be in and of the world in some ways and, and nor do you want to not be in some ways, but also you're working to create this environment and community that feels like it's more nourishing to your, your human nature, right? Yeah, exactly. I think, I think what's important for us is, is finding that balance. So, you know, we called, we called our project Zenith because, what that means is it's like the high point of the sun in the sky um, or it's the peak of, it's the peak of something. So we're interested in examining like, what is the, what is the best possible version of the human experience? And we don't know the answer to that. It's an experiment, you know? So our philosophy is that living connected to nature and sustainably and with other people that we have a common vision and goals with and developing a modern day tribe, you know, we, we think that that's a, from what our experience and what we've been led to is we think that that's, going to get us closer to that that ideal life mm-hmm. um, but it's an experiment and so we're providing this space as and what we're hoping to develop it into and, and what we are bringing in is we're bringing in things that will help people come and experience just an alternative to you know the modern the modern way of living so they can see for themselves like hey what of this resonates with me mm-hmm. what are they onto that works for me and what doesn't uh, right. for each person it's a little bit different so, yeah, that was that was um, that was definitely my instinct. That it's very subjective, but there's certainly elements within what you're doing that we can all reflect on how to create. Um, even if that means you're not going to necessarily give up your job and your house, though maybe you will. But you know, I I think that's really a beautiful thing. So is that ultimately your mission to sort of create this experiment to get closer to understanding what supports the most positive human experience, at least for those of you involved, and then to share some of that wisdom and experience with the world? Absolutely. So we're, we're creating the most 
abundant community that we can here in, mm-hmm. in terms of what that means for us. And mm-hmm. that won't be what it is for everybody, but we hope to inspire other people that come here and visit here uh, to go out and be inspired to do that for themselves. You know, maybe if they're really aligned with us, that means that the best fit for them would be to join us. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, what that is, is just to get them to think a little bit more about, you know, what is, what is the best version of myself and my life? Like what, what life would enable me to not just live the happiest, but also to give me the energy to create the most positive change out in the world. And we try to support people with that, whether it's by coming here, whether it's by coming to one of our retreats that examines that a little more closely. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really like to provoke people to, to be just a little more intentional about their lives and, and, uh, and really think about, you know, it was what I'm doing, does that serve me best? Mm-hmm. Is that what's going to serve the world best? Or am I just doing that because that's what I was, you know, taught by society to do? I mean, Peter, these are literally the questions I feel like I've been asking every yoga class I've ever taught. And, um, and I've, do- I've done a fair bit of teaching and personal development and, and um, you know, personal evolution, as I like to call it. And I think, I think it's really, um, really beautiful, even, even just in that, you know, this may not work entirely for you, but what can you take from this that's going to allow you to reflect on the way that you're living and if it's serving your your good, your highest good and the world's highest good, which I believe are always the same, right? And your highest good is not ego or money or power. It's if you're if you're being really honest about that, it's something much deeper and more divine than that. Um when you when people join your community, is there some sort of like vetting process? I mean how do you I mean, how do you how do you decide who gets like in at this point? Or is that still sort of lofty in, in your in your plans i actually really like getting asked this question i'm glad yeah. you asked it yeah. because the analogy that we use to answer that question is kind of fun so we consider it like dating so okay. to join a community is not totally different than than getting married to someone or, or moving in with uh with a partner right um when you when you join a community you're you're living with a whole bunch of people um you're in each other's daily life and you're accepting them for who they are, both good and bad. And so what we really encourage people to do is if, if our community or any other community appeals to them is to look at it from a dating perspective. So mm-hmm. when you meet someone new, uh, if they say they want to get married right away, that's almost a bit of a warning sign. It makes them feel a little bit desperate or like, what's sure. wrong with you? You just met me, you know? Why do you yeah. want to get married already? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what are you running away from? Yeah, we like to use a dating analogy. Like if you're if you want to join a community, and this could be one like, you know, a town in Michigan, like yeah. like where you're from. Um, yeah. you know, it doesn't actually make sense, I don't think, to go and and just, you know, buy the house or the apartment or move into the community right away. Like mm-hmm. get to know the people, get to know the place a little bit, go visit for a go visit for a little bit, go visit for a weekend. If you like it, if it resonates, great. Come back, do it again. If if it's still feeling really good and aligned then come back for a longer time. Maybe get, maybe work on a common project together. See how you work together. See how that feels. Go on a trip together. Do get your lives a little more intermingled. And then maybe after a few months or a year or whatever the organic amount of time is, is that you'll know when it feels like, Hey, we're really aligned. Our life is going to be better if we are doing this together. And so for us, there's no formal process. We like to look at it as that, you know, the same way you might look at dating someone. 
Right. I love that. I love that because that's, I was all of a sudden like, you know, who knows who's going to try to come join your community. I'm already worried about, you know, setting like, cause it's probably this, this beautiful harmonious thing eventually, at least most of the time that you sort of get to know each other and everybody works within that community. And, you know, in the spiritual, in the spiritual world, I'm sure you've heard very similar things. I've heard very similar uh, numbers to what you're talking about with Dunbar, you know, that like sort of 80 to 120 is the tribe. And that part of what's missing is that in the tribe, everybody knew, um, what roles they kind of were, like what were their strengths and what, what their purpose was within the tribe. And so there was less of this like discontent because you knew who you were, you knew what, what jobs you needed to show up for. There's also inherent flexibility within that tribe mentality too. But I think people are so lost with so much information, so many people, so many um, things, biting, you know, biting for their time and trying to get their energy. So... I can see how that'd be really beautiful, but also I was like, how do you decide who's in? Do you have, is it all just adults at this point? Does anybody have children living on this, in this um, scenario with you? Yeah, great question. That's actually something that we'd like to change. So our demographic is all, you know, the 25 to 40 demographic. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's something we very much recognize that to be a, a complete tribe or community. Yeah. We recognize right now that we're, we're lacking, um, we're lacking elders and we're mm-hmm. lacking children. Yeah. Okay. So that's um, all on the Yeah, plan. very much so. It's uh it's an awareness of it's an awareness of a an an important area of growth for us for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, well this is its own evolution, right? So I mean you do, you got to start. So you're doing that. What does your own family think of this? Um my own family, <laughs> that's a great <laughs> question. They think I'm a blend between adventurous and crazy. Yeah, because <laughs> um, they very much still live the the middle class suburban life. Um, yeah. My my family, my two parents, they both live in the same house that I was that I was born in, mm-hmm. um, thirty five years later. And I have two brothers, and you know they they both also live in in suburbia. You know, not too far from from where we grew up. Yeah. Um, so sometimes, often they think I'm crazy at first. And then as they realize that actually I'm pretty happy doing what I'm doing, then they just think I'm more adventurous. Yeah. But usually they think I'm crazy first. Yeah, I get that. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Do they visit? Um, Occasionally. They've been here once. But I think on a broader scale, I think that's, I actually think that's one of the things that, that holds people back is this, is this sense of like, oh, I need my family to approve. Mm -hmm. I need society to approve. I need to be approved by someone. Um, And to be a complete person, I think, um, and a fully self-empowered person who's, who's living a great life. The only person you need is, is your own approval. Like the more, even the most successful people in the world, the most famous people in the world, even, even if you think of who is your favorite role model, everybody has detractors. Everybody yeah. has someone that's going to say you're doing something wrong. No one's ever going to agree. Not everybody is always going to agree hundred percent with you. And so if you can, if you can tell yourself, that you believe in what you're doing, that's what's important. I, I totally agree. And I think, I mean, that is really the heart and intention of this podcast is that creating a soulful, meaningful, contented life can look a thousand different ways, but you ultimately have to be willing to listen to your own inner guidance and, and listen to what makes you content and happy and alive and, um, and let go of um, the noise of the world, you know, because 
there are always going to be people that think your community that you've created is crazy, um, that the things I talk about in podcasts or in life are crazy. I mean, there's always going to be, it's like uh, the Brene Brown, you know, um, and Teddy Roosevelt, right? It's the critics that, you know, like forget about the critics and the haters and the people who aren't in the arena getting their ass kicked, you know? Those are the people, you can't listen to them. They're not ever going to lead you to your own contentment. I mean, I think what you're doing is is brave and awesome and I could totally see why people would think you were crazy. Um, but I love it. I love what you're doing. Um, how did you get to that place that you just decided it didn't matter what other people thought? That's a good question. I, I couldn't tell you <laughs> any specific <laughs> method or, or thing yeah. that I did, but uh, that's why I think that personal growth, um, yeah. for me at least, was, was the main catalyst. Like when I was a kid, I was really shy. I was awkward. Um, I was nerdy. I got made fun of. And for me, that stimulated the path of, of personal growth and development. And, you know, it was entrepreneurship at first and being successful in business. And then later it became a little bit more spiritual and personal growth and learning about, you know, ego and how to love more completely and things like that. But yeah. um, I think that I think that taking a journey of personal growth, you know, whether it's a yoga workshop with you or, or another avenue, that's you know, those are important steps to, to learning really to accept yourself and, and love yourself. And it's from that place that I think that you can get there. What have been the greatest lessons in your own growth or the hardest lessons? Ooh, <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere. Whatever was first, I think. Whatever pops first. I mean, if I go back to the story of um, the woman who moved into my house as a roommate who was just absolutely gl- glowing. Yeah. What she really, what she really taught me, the biggest thing I remember about that, that I think is really impactful is like, you've got to really separate your, your ego from, from what's real. Like mm-hmm. so much of, so much of what a lot of people do in life is based on trying to look good for others or trying to make themselves look good or appear successful. Um, and, those are, those are like false indicators, mm-hmm. you know, those are, those are trying to have our self-perception and our own value to externalize that to how others feel about us. Um, and so I think the real lesson there is that our value comes from ourselves and the value that we give ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not from our ego and how others look at us. What about the lessons you've learned in this project um, specifically, like in getting it going and um, what have been the biggest, where's the biggest growth curve been so far? That's a great question too. And I think community of any sort, it comes down to relationships. And as much as I've learned this, it's, it's something that continues to surprise me and, and come back and hit me. And which is, it doesn't matter what system you have. It doesn't matter what power structure you have, what hierarchy you have, um, what method you have the most important thing at the end of the day is is in any community is is your relationships whenever i forget that whenever we forget that you know it results in people feeling unhappy discontented fighting disagreeing about silly things like who left the dishes out or who didn't clean up uh but the reality is is that those those things are not about who left out the dishes the reality is that it's about people not feeling in harmony and connected in their relationships. And so what continues to be, I think, our most important work today, there is conflict not to run away from it, but to use that as an excuse to, to bring us together because we know we're better together and to take that what appears to be conflict or disconnect and use that as a way to, 
you know, have a discussion, get, get deep in with each other. How are you really feeling? What's really bothering today? What's really on your mind? Because it's never about the dishes. It's about right. something else. It's about, a, it's about not feeling, everyone feeling connected and included as fully as, as they want to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I like keep thinking it's also just that deep relationship with the self, right? Like that we're all just holding mirrors to each other and in such a tight group. Yeah, absolutely. Eight people, there's nowhere to run or hide from your own self, your, you know, your shadow and light parts of yourself, all of that. Like there's, you, you are in a fishbowl of your own creation in lots of ways, but that would really bring, I would imagine, bring things to the surface, but also um, a really beautiful and safe way to work through all of that with each other in a mutually supportive environment where you have this, this shared mission, you know? And I think that's one of the things that is both one of the biggest benefits of living in a more community setting and also one of the things that scares people the most is if you live, if you live on your own, mm-hmm. you can hide from that. Yeah. You can hide from those things. Um, but in hiding from them, you also miss out on that, on that growth and reflection that you get by living yeah. with others and being accountable for how you're acting and, who, and how you're showing up every day. Yeah. Totally. I, I don't remember what, there was some documentary I was listening to and the Sufi was telling the, the guy who was on this, um, this path and this, creating this documentary and he was, I think he was looking into spirituality and he had some sort of psychic break and I don't even remember the name of it, but he, the, the Sufi basically said to him, like, like basically like relationships, whether that's just one-on-one or any of it, like are the single greatest lessons and teachers and that you cannot evolve your human experience without them. Um, and I just thought like, that's so true. You know, it's single is in many ways, in any way that you can kind of paint, pin down that idea of singularity that you're lonely and solitary. Um, it's really easy to stay hidden and guarded and alone and, um, also unhappy and not growing, you know? So just that any kind of relationship offers us this opportunity and also it's really hard to look at yourself that clearly and I can only imagine in the environment you're at there's days that are probably hard that it's that intimate absolutely yeah absolutely I wish that like if I could redo one thing about my education and how Mm -hmm. I was brought up yeah I wish that that's what I would have been taught early on is that the most important thing is not you know is not material things and money and and what you what you achieve that Mm -hmm. way but the things that's the single biggest source of happiness and joy and, you know, what life really is, is your relationships. Yeah. Um, and that's what I've been discovering is that the more I focus on and cultivate good relationships, the happier my life is. That's yeah. the single biggest thing more than any amount of, of money or any other kind of success. Yeah, and let me tell you, raising a six-year-old in this environment, in this world, and trying to teach them that more things, trying to teach my daughter that more things will not ever create happiness for her while the world is full of things and commercials and, you know, we live in a, a healthy, happy, upper-middle-class neighborhood, you know? It's like, it's it's such a challenge because of the dichotomous and kind of the BS underneath all of it, right? Here are all these lovely things, but but don't want them because they won't make you happy. Um, it's really it's really challenging in the modern age. And um, I appreciate, you know, the mission that you guys are on. And I also appreciate that it, that in many ways, those lessons are so much easier to learn in the environment you're creating so that if you, you do one day choose to have children, um, your children will be really lucky to learn that from that sort of space you're creating. agree, and that's one of the reasons that we chose a more wilderness location is to, not because we necessarily think all things about society are bad, but 
when you're in a place which is farther away from its influence, it's a lot easier to be more intentional about what you want and what you don't because you're not getting bombarded with commercials and cars and things that cost money all the time. Yeah. I do keep drawing back, though, to this, you know, this, like, idea that, like, um, you know, in the yogi world, at least, like, you can go live in the ashram for, you know, many, many years, and that has its own lessons, living that intimately with people, but, you know, it's also learning to live of the world, so I think as much as you guys want to be sustainable, it's also really interesting that you're not, that you still have to be in and of the world, and um, I'd just be curious your thoughts about that. You know, I know you said it's not like we're hiding ourselves in a cave, right? Because that is sort of the, it could it could also turn into an escapism sort of from the real world, quote-unquote, which also carries probably some BS with it, but um, I'd love to know your thoughts on that. You know, like, do people kind of challenge you about sort of escaping the world? Yeah, and that's, I do occasionally get that uh, that feel from people, and, and that's why that's why I like to talk about it in terms of like some people, when they imagine like an intentional community in the wilderness, they imagine almost like modern day pioneer homesteaders, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, yeah. people that have gone out to the fringes and are determined to, to settle new lands and make it on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're really not like that. You know, we've, we've chosen this place because we think it's an awesome place to do this experiment in modern day, sustainable, intentional living. But we're also all people that are from the modern world. You know, right. in some ways, if we were an indigenous tribe, the modern world would be foreign and unnatural to us. But the modern world is, is, is where all of us actually grew up in. And this is mm-hmm. an experiment in, in what's possible in a different context um, without that. But, you know, having come from the modern world and having lots of family and friends and people who are in the modern world that we care about, you know, at the end of the day, we also really want to help have an impact on the modern world and have our own interactions with that when we're in it, just be more empowered and, and more present and, and come from a place that's genuinely ours. And, and, and so what I think the community serves really well in is it helps us get connected to nature. It helps us get connected to each other. It helps us be a lot more intentional in, in what we want in our lives so mm-hmm. that when we are in the modern world, um, we're a lot more clear on how to be happy, how to interact with that, and what's really us in that. And, and we have a really strong reference point for, you know, what we want mm-hmm. and who we are so that we're a lot less influenced and caught up in, in the parts of the modern world that like the consumerism, for example, that, that we really think isn't healthy. And, yeah. and it's, you know, having that reference point of what else is possible uh, makes it a lot easier to interact, I think, with the modern world in a healthy way and, and also cause positive change. Mm-hmm. Okay, so two questions. Number one is, there's a lot of we, right? You talk, instead of t- talking from your own experience, um, you speak from the we. So does that mean you have like a really strong collective vision and goal that you're working to speak from? And can you kind of share what that is? Is there a succinct mission? Yeah, so the collective goal of the community is is that experimental nature. Like, what is what is this what can we create in this context? What is the most um, ideal, abundant, intentional human habitat? You okay. know, given this blank, beautiful canvas, our collective goal is what we're creating here at the community. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the collective goal is to empower the people who are here to go out into the world with their unique gifts, their unique ca- talents, yeah. and, 
what they what their highest purpose is and to provide a context of supporting and empowering each other in doing that. So yeah. when I talk about when I talk about uh, for example, I talk about um, how I really believe that it's like an injustice that people have to pay rent and yeah. pay for access to land. That's that's not a community goal. That's that's more of a personal cause that I believe in. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, like, I was actually just at a course a week ago um, about fundraising for nonprofits and for causes. Um, because one of my personal goals of doing good in the world is to help seed more intentional communities come about where people can come together, they can live in community in a place that's naturally abundant that they can sustain themselves on. Mm-hmm. And I really care about helping people who don't have financial means get access to that, who yeah. don't have, you know, the background of that they can pay, they can buy land and get a mortgage. Like I'm in a fortunate place where that was possible for us to do. Um, but there's a lot of people who are very, very disempowered by the current system and feel very disempowered in, in how they're making a living. And I really want to help make a difference for other people in getting other people access to land to live in a healthy context. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's incredible. So how are you going to do that? <laughs> that's <laughs> incredible, like truly to me. I mean, I love that. I think that's so true. And everyone has some skill, right? So even if they weren't, they didn't go to college and they didn't have the means that you and I were raised with and our middle class white experience, um, I think that everybody still has something to add to the community, right? And that's sort of the premise of your of your um, creation there and your experiment. So how do we, how are you... I mean, obviously through this platform and seeking to be on podcasts and, you know, let more people know about what you're doing, but what do you see, how do you see that coming into fruition more? And, um, and how do you, um, hope to continue to influence the world towards a greater understanding of what you're doing and why you're doing it? Thanks. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely one of the reasons that, that I do podcast interviews is to, is to get that, is to get that message out and get that, that possibility out to the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, the community, other than being a really beautiful, amazing place to live, I, like I love living here. Um, but other than that, what we're creating in, in creating a community that, you know, is experimenting with how can we create the best human habitat possible is that when people come here to visit, uh, we seek to have a place that inspires them to be like, wow, you guys get to live here. Right. And then from that conversation, um, for me, what gets me excited is that then I can get into conversations with people who, you know, maybe have come from a, a business or entrepreneur background that have had some success and have the means to start up a project like this themselves mm-hmm. or fund a project like this themselves to get them inspired about, wow, like, look at what's possible here. Look at what's been created and then have that conversation with them about diverting some of their own resources away from consumption and more mm-hmm. towards creating more opportunities like this for people. So do you hope to create like a formula that other people could then emulate and create another sustainable, intentional community? I wouldn't say a formula so much as an example. Um, okay. Like I actually think one of the problems with the modern world is that it is too formulaic. <laughs> yeah, uh, probably. Like it, yeah. It's a formula that causes McDonald's to be in every town and every city sure. Uh, sure. in every country in the world. There's a very specific formula yeah. But I think that's actually eroding our, our, our culture. Like a lot of people, when they travel, they look mm-hmm. to go to unique, uniquely unique places that have different cultures. Sure. And I think our world would be actually much more rich and diverse if 
not just different countries had different cultures, but different communities had vastly different cultures. So mm-hmm. I seek, I would say we seek to provide more of an example rather okay. than a formula. Yeah, I sense. guess formula was probably not the right word, but, you know, like a framework even because um, as you experiment with this and somebody wanted to do that, they may not have the vision you have. And, and I don't know, I just think in my um, experience as I'm listening to you, I'm like, wow, that sounds amazing. And if I was called to that, I would feel like, wow, this is really overwhelming. Where do I begin? And perhaps your um, experiment can serve at least as, an, as you said, an example, not a formula necessarily, but um, showing people not only that it can be done, but like some of the lessons you've learned along the way and the stumbles and being able to share that to make that, um, make other, make it more accessible for other people to create something similar. Yeah. And, and we haven't created everything here ourselves either. Sure. So right. um, what would be the, the formula that you talk about is more of a, a collective consciousness or wisdom that's, that's in many places. Like for example, one of our major inspirations for how we think and our values is, is actually a intention, quite a highly regarded successful community in Portugal called Tamara. And what really struck me about them is that uh, they've, they've been around for about 40 years and through their deep focus on cultivating relationships, strong, deep relationships within the community, mm-hmm. they've been able to, to live and come to be regarded as one of the more successful communities, intentional communities in the world. Um, and they have a huge mission and outreach around world peace. They're doing a lot of great things in the world. And yet, um, in their own internal community of about 150 people, mm-hmm. they have very little power structure, very little rules, very little hierarchy. People mostly work and contribute in the ways they want to. And to me, the amount of freedom that's possible within their context, while they actually, it, it's just absolutely amazing. Like uh, one of the first things people often ask me is like, how do you make decisions? Uh, what are the rules? Who's in charge of this or that? And yeah. in visiting this community in Portugal, they had no formal structure for any of that. And mm-hmm. people, were, people were enabled to, to follow what their purpose was and what excited them. Um, and they, they made that all work through having a regular practice. Um, which they call forum, which is basically like a gathering and sharing amongst the community members. But that was their focus was like, if we build the relationships and keep the relationships strong, everything else will follow. There won't be any rules or control. And like, for example, that was a huge influence on us. And that Mm -hmm. I love to share that example with other people. Yeah. I, that's so interesting. I wouldn't even occurred to me to ask about rules and things like that, because I feel like the whole point is to break like break free from a lot of that, right? Like it didn't even occur to me. I'm like, oh, I guess I could have asked you about rules and like order, but like I already feel like I know that they, that you're sort of trusting that. I'm really glad you did it because that's yeah. usually one of the first things that people do ask me. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a relief. No, good, good. I mean, to me, it's just like obvious that if you're that intentional, I mean, you're calling it intentional. So to me, if you're like that rooted into your own connection and your human experience, like what you wouldn't need that because you have some sort of, compass and you guys are, are wanting to create this space collaboratively. Um, so it wouldn't make sense to me that then there'd be all this rules and order because I don't know, it just doesn't make sense. But I, I mean, I guess that's, that's just it, right? These are the paradigms we know. And so that's what people want to know about. And I love that. I love that Portugal's made, or, or that Tamara and um, has made such a great example of it. And I think it's a really, I think it's a beautiful reminder of that, like humans inherently want harmony and to get along and to, um, you know, work together and that power and fear and separation is really the unnatural 
thing in a lot of ways. It is. Least, it yeah. really is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so last question really is, uh, for me is just, is there like a spiritual practice or just a sort of honoring of the earth or, um, what would you like, what, how would you describe your own personal experience of spirituality and how you connect to it? I actually think that's, uh, to be completely honest with you, I actually think that's one of, one of the areas of improvement for me personally, yeah. um, is I, I have some ritual in my life, uh, which I don't follow very strictly. Yeah. Uh, I was joking the other day with someone, they were asking me why I don't drink coffee. And I said, well, I do push-ups in the morning instead that gets me energized and <laughs> then I'm not dependent on any substance. <laughs> okay. But, uh, that's kind of an example of like, of what is like sort of like a ritual for me. Yeah. But, uh, that's actually one of the biggest areas I think that I could grow in is, and I, I don't do much yoga and mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly why, but I think having a practice like that, yeah. um, would be one of the biggest areas of growth for me personally. Um, so I, I appreciate you bringing that up. No, you're welcome. Do you meditate? From time to time. From time yeah. to time. Not as often yeah. as I should. I mean, my unsolicited recommendation is meditation. It's like something I put off for a really long time and absolutely changed my life. And you're in such a beautiful space and environment and state of mind. I'm sure a lot of the work and things you do feel meditative and sort of holy. And I mean that without religion in their own way. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think... I think the truth is, is that whether or not you call it spirituality, just your willingness to step intuitively um, into your own personal expansion is its form of spirituality. But, um, but if ritual is helpful, then great, but maybe it isn't for everyone, you know? Yeah, I I appreciate that suggestion. And uh, I've been getting a lot of feedback from a few sources, from different sources lately that, uh, that that that's that's a strong indication to me that that's a, a good area of growth for me. Yeah, we call it the rule of three. If you've heard it more than three times, man, you're already late to the job or the thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'm going to use that. Yeah. yeah. Um, any last thoughts? I mean, thank you so much for, for sharing with us. Um, how can people follow what you're doing and find out more? So if people are curious in, you know, seeing what seeing what we're about, um, or potentially inquiring about visiting us or that kind of thing, our website is www.visitzenith.org. Um, so that's an easy way to see a little bit more about us or get in touch with us. Um, and also, I just want to uh, I just wanted to acknowledge and, and thank you, Anne, for you know doing what you do. I know that uh, in your teaching and in your retreats, um, you're really seeking to make a difference in the world yourself and help empower people to, to become, you know, the best version of themselves as well. And I just wanted to acknowledge you for, for your work as well. Uh, it's inspiring to me. Thank you. It's interesting to hear you even talk about why you do what you do. And I'm like, yeah, same mission, just different avenue, right? So I think that's the beautiful the thing about all of this is that there's so many ways to help people move into more purposeful, meaningful, contented lives. And like yours is this beautiful, maybe more extreme version, but everything you were saying, I'm like, yeah, totally right on. Like that's, I just feel like I'm here hoping to, um, elevate consciousness, you know, one conversation at a time is sort of my, my silly tagline, but, but there's so many ways to do it. And the more of us just continuing to have these conversations and dialogues openly and share, I think is really beautiful. So I'm glad that we um, got connected and I thank you for your time and, um, and your openness and I'm excited to see, I'm excited to follow you and see how this continues to transpire. And I think that maybe I should send my brother out to you. 
he's been looking for a community like this for a long time. So it's pretty incredible. <laughs> going back to the, uh, going back to the dating analogy, um, yeah. we, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely open to having first dates with people. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. yeah. You can kick him off after the first date. If it doesn't work out, I won't, I won't put it against you, but yeah, I love that. I mean, it just, it's really, the dating analogy is perfect minus the apps and all of the nonsense, but it's, it's perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Peter. <laughs> yeah. Thank you again. Uh, for your it was time. a total pleasure talking with you and, um, thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. Good luck with all you're doing. I love it. Thank you. Have a beautiful day.